this thing has been, uh, what's the good term? Feeding me my lunch. I was shared in Sunday school this morning. When I first became a pastor, I remember praying all week long that, golly, give me a message. Let me get all of these random thoughts that I have in something. And I did that for about a year or so. And uh, one night, he has this way of getting me up about, usually between one and two. And he says, we need to talk. <laughs> so I go talk to him. And he showed me that praying for the message was not what I should be doing. He says, uh, what you need to be praying is that what you preach is true of you. That's a little humbling. Can we go back to praying for the message? He said, no, I called you. I'll give you the message. But I do want it to be true of you, what you preach. That has come back to my mind in this text. Let's read, and uh, I'll show you why. Verse 18 to 21, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, uh, I'm really going to need your help, as I do every Lord's Day. And so, Father, I pray, as Jesus healed the bride man, you gave him eyes. I pray that you will open the hearts of my brothers and sisters and friends, that they will hear what you say. And that, Father... Uh, it will be true of each of us. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I beg you, I urge you, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. That comes out of three chapters of theology. And he says, in light of this theology, walk like it. All right, you have this information, now walk in light of that information. He began that in chapter 4, and we've been walking through this to see what happens. And basically, 4-1 to the end of the book, well, except for the spiritual war part, I'll get that when I get to it in chapter 6, is basically, what does the worthy walk look like? This is one of the things that has uh, befuddled me in Christendom, is that, our Christianity should be seen, and it should be 180 degrees out of what the world is. And yet, we have, we have bought this, whether you admit it or not. First John tells me I cannot love the world and love Christ. But the church has been teaching you can love the world and love Christ. And... That's a lie. Because we are called to walk worthy. To do that, we must be spirit-filled. And that's what we've been looking at. If you're going to be filled, it is not something that we promise to do in the future. 
Okay? And you're not going to get into a relationship with another person that says, in the future, I will love you. Okay? I guarantee you that won't work. If Jesus Christ commands you to be spirit-filled, he doesn't say, when it's convenient. All right? We promise in the future it's something you are or you are not. Okay, you can't say, well, I'm working on it. I'm thinking about it. You know, I thought about it yesterday. Today I've got a lot to do. Uh, I'll try it tomorrow. You either are or you're not. Verse 18, we looked at this in depth. We have a command that is given in the end of the verse, but it is in a contrast that's at the beginning of the verse. We don't want you to be drunk, which is how the pagans worship. They still do it today. They get intoxicated. Upon being intoxicated, they believe they have a deeper commune with deity. He says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to have a deeper communion with deity, but you do that by being spirit-filled. Because, again... Spirit-filled is seen. It is seen. And I shared with you the consequences of being spirit-filled, and I've been working on that. And the first thing that comes out of being spirit-filled, you're right with yourself. You know what that means? Your conscience don't bother you. Okay? And you're saying, well, can you say, yeah. Apostle Paul says, my conscience is clear. That is a spirit-filled person. Okay, and I showed you a bunch of them. Jesus was spirit-filled. John the Baptist was spirit-filled. John the Baptist's parents were spirit-filled. Peter was filled. And everybody in the upper room at Pentecost. Stephen, when the stones were crushing him, was spirit-filled. Okay, it's all through. You see it all over the place. Barnabas, the encourager, was a man... Full of the Spirit. So you, you see it, and when you have that, the first thing that you have and you know is that you have a new song in your heart. It's a song of redemption. I've been redeemed. And it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. My heart, knowing that I have been redeemed, I am saved. I am a child of the Son of God. I'm part of the body of Christ. I am a part of the bride of Christ. And you can't steal my song. And it doesn't mean a tune. It just means that I have a melody in my heart that says, whoopee. And it doesn't matter how black it is. I can still smile and say, amen, brother. Okay. And I'm going to test you on this today. Because the second thing that we started last week, we kind of laid a foundation for, is that if my relationship with myself is right, and I have this joy in my heart of my salvation, okay, that nothing can steal. Have you ever heard that? Well, they put me in a bad mood. No, you let them. Okay? I don't let anybody put me in a bad mood. And I've had some professional bad mood testers. And I drive them nuts because I'm like, I ain't doing it. Why? It's just overrated. Okay? But I, I want you to know these kind of things. Because the next thing is, is that if I have this in my soul, 
then I am thankful to God. And I shared with you like last week that our greatest act of worship is thanksgiving. Okay? And he here says, you should only be thankful in all things. Hmm. Well, which would those be? <laughs> that would be them all things. All things. Thanksgiving. Okay. In verse 20, always giving thanks. You know what that means? Always giving thanks. Okay, now, I'm going to get a little specific on this. And uh, if it hurts your feelings, it's his fault. I'm just the table waiter. I'm bringing it out. I'm going to try not to spill any. I ask questions. What kind of thanksgiving is it that Paul is after? Get a little card. says, thank you. Is that what he's looking for? Well, what I have found in this, our thanksgiving and God's thanksgiving is not even sort of close. And I hear people in, in the years that I have been walking with my king, oh, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Okay? You don't understand fill in the blank. Okay? You don't understand my kids. You do not understand my husband. You don't understand my wife. How can I be thankful? You don't understand the job that I'm in. But you know what this text says? Still says always. Still says always. See, always is this. This is how this word works. It recognizes thanksgiving that God is in control of your life. Okay? You know, I think about Neva and her sister and the heartache that is in that. But you know what? Be thankful. Be thankful. We looked at this in depth last week. Do I understand that this that is happening is God is moving to conform me into the image of Christ? You know, there's times I have to deal with situations. Yesterday was one of them days you're like, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. But I kept going. And there's times that you wonder, what the heck is this for? And then there's times that I have to understand all things that occur in all of those things. We give to glory to God in thanksgiving. Okay? I'm going to give you uh, some verses to think about. This one here you should write down in your Bible because you'll ask it another thousand times before you step into glory. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul tells the Thessalonians, and everything give thanks. Up. You know what's really cool about that verse? That ain't where it ends. 
He says this, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I know none of you have ever asked, I wonder what the will of God is. I just told you what it was. Give thanks in everything. This is the will of God concerning you. If you don't know what God's will is, try that first. You know, have you, I've done this. You guys are going to say, why are we following and listening to this clown? I have done this. Lord, I have no idea what your will is. Thank you. What? I have no idea what you're doing. Thank you. Well, that sounds stupid. You know what? It's bailed me out of a whole bunch of messes. Listen, also, a lack of thanksgiving may be the reason you don't know his will. I get that asked a lot. I don't know what God wants. Okay. Let me remind you of a couple of things that you've already looked at. We've looked at in depth. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Interesting verse. We looked at this, and I'm sure that you've all remember it well. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, in verse 20, what does he say? Always giving thanks. Okay, so that would be the will of the Lord. The will is being thankful always and for all things. God's will is that we be thankful. You ever thought about this? How often you have to teach your kids to say what? Thank you. You know what? It's not in our nature. It is God's will that we be thankful. I have been around long enough to say, I have seen children who are not thankful. You ever seen that? Or is it just me? I get blessed with that. Okay. But there are children that you see they are not thankful and you know what? For me, that is heartbreaking. You know, I'm looking, thinking, how in the world can you have this and not be grateful? But let me tell you something. We are children of God. Are we thankful? See, trials come. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. You know, you never find that in the Jesus promise books. That's weird. They'll show you all the things that Jesus is going to do, but you never see that one. He says, I promise you will have tribulation. Okay, but anyway, you will have it. But you know what most of us do? We gripe and complain. How come this is happening to me? I remember one of the greatest preachers that I've ever had opportunity to spend time with. He started preaching at Dunkirk. Okay, that's where he got went from boat to boat sharing the gospel with soldiers. He is the one who taught an evangelist that if he didn't use the Holy Spirit, he would be absolutely useless. So he took him for seven days into the Welsh hillside and he sat down and they wept and prayed and sought the face of God to understand the Holy Spirit. And he said, if you use the Holy Spirit, you will be used greatly. You know who that was? Billy Graham. Okay? But you... 
these are things that, you know, are, am I thankful? And I mean, in his early 80s, he was diagnosed with aggressive form of cancer. And he's like, all of these years, I've been preaching and teaching preachers, and I got cancer? And it was awful. It was awful. The doctor told him that they'd given him more chemotherapy that normally kills a 24-year-old. So he was 83. And he says, I don't know why you're doing this. He's telling me one night he was laying in bed. He, he was freezing and burning up. And his mouth was full of sores. He couldn't even drink water. And he laid there. And, he, of course, he's pulling up psalms. He's repeating these psalms. And he's carrying them on. Help me. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he said... Uh, he stopped and he says, you know what? I know that the accuser of the brethren will spend eternity in hell, but please don't give him this. Okay? You know why he later found out? He wrote a book called The Sword of Suffering. And he explains in the book what he went through. You know what's really bizarre about that book? It is placed in every endocrinologist's office in the state of Tennessee. You go to a cancer doctor in Tennessee, that book is in that office. I've given it here. I've had some friends who battled cancer. Give me another one. Give me another one. Give me another one. I even had some autographed ones, but I think I gave them all away. We complain and we grumble. And yet I ask myself, why do I second guess God? We are asked to be thankful as God does his perfect work. This is the will of God. Do we really understand James 1? You remember that one? We always always share it with people who are suffering. We don't do well with it when we're suffering. But in James 1 it says, Count it all joy, brother, when you fall into what? Various trials. Because it is for the perfection of your faith. Do you understand that the trials and tribulations of your life are to perfect your faith? Then how can you not be thankful? And yet, we don't want to suffer nothing. I won't won't do that. Let them do it. Okay, They're going to go through the valley of the shadow. How about I go up around the ridge and look down? Okay, so I'm going to get specific now. Three categories of thankful people. And when I was pulling this all together, I got it written down here and I got it highlighted in red because that's what it meant when I started wrestling with it. Three categories. And I would call them a very interesting test. There's not a believer in this room who does not want to be spiritually mature. Right? Nope, I'm staying an infant. (laughs) I'll let somebody change my diaper and feed me when I'm hungry. No, we want to be spiritually mature. So I am going to offer a test. Okay? Those, test number one. Those who are thankful after the blessing. 
That's not so hard, is it? I prayed for this job. I prayed for this raise. I prayed for this individual. Boom, I got it. Hey, thanks, big guy. Very simple, very easy, right? After God has just blessed you, we are thankful. Go to the doctor's visit. You come out. And I've never done this, but some people have. They go to the doctor and come out. And, oh, I'm good. Okay. Every time I go, I'm at the age now. That's broken. That's broken. That's breaking. Okay. So I, I don't pray. Give me a good report from the doctors. Just get me out of here. All right. Maybe a new home. Maybe I want a new home. Maybe I want a new job. When it happens, I am very thankful to the king for answering my prayers and granting me this tremendous blessing. God unloads on you, and oh, we are so thankful. And you know what? I don't want you to take this wrong because it is biblical. Okay? God wants this, by the way. He wants you to be thankful after the blessing. And it's, it's kind of cool. Exodus chapter 14, verse 28. It begins. This is, uh, oops, I went the wrong way. 26 is the context. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians and over the chariots and over their horsemen. Okay. The children of Israel has just crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And the sea is still apart. The Egyptian says, well, by golly, I'm going to come right after you. We'll just follow hard. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. And then the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone in to see after them, not even one of them remained. Okay? So, what did they do first? The same thing we've been studying. Okay? When you are spirit-filled, first thing you do is what? Sing. You sing. All right? And out of that song comes thanksgiving to God. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider has been hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength of my song. He has become my salvation. This, my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. That is a song of redemption. Actually, it's called the song of Moses. Who is like you? Verse 11. Who is like you among gods, O Lord, who is majestic in holiness, awesome in praises and working wonders? You stretched out your arm and the earth swallowed them. Okay. Verse 11. That was 11 and 12. You see what I'm trying to get at? They were thankful. They sang out of a redeemed heart. They sang a new song. And they said, my God, rocks and rolls. That's the new version. Okay. My God whooped your God. Okay. Moses and the sons of Israel sang. 
verse 19. The horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord backed the waters upon them, and the sons of Israel walked on dry land. Look what I did, Lord. Look what the Lord did. Wow. And so what do you do? Oh, you're so cool. We'll build an altar. Say thank you. The Song of Moses. Remember that. You'll need to remember that. In Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. Okay? The survivors of the great tribulation who did not succumb to the beast, the false prophet, the Antichrist, they survived. They have victory over the beast. And some, did you realize that some, the Antichrist, will not destroy? I mean, if you read the book of Revelations in that seven years, the bold judgment and the horn judgment and all them, you're thinking there, gee, all that's left is cockroaches. But there are people who do survive. And what do they do? Verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will fear, O God, glorify your name? For you are most holy. Okay? That is victory. In the past, that we say, Amen. Okay? I hate to break the news to you. It's always something that God has done that we should say thanks after He has done it. Okay? But again, it's not wrong. It's encouraged. Moses did it. The survivors of the great tribulations, they do it. Right? We've all done it. Something has happened. You say, Yes, my God rocks. Right? But there's a second kind. The ability to give thanks before the trial begins. For a victory that you know is coming. Okay? After the fact of the victory, that's easy. But can you see it coming and give thanks? Here it comes. Okay? Be careful. It's an anticipation of the fact. This is not easy. This is where people of faith come in. Those who believe God before anything happens. Okay? Celebrating before the war. Whoa. Gets a little tougher now. See, I see this problem coming. How wonderful and grateful I am. I believe you are before it even 
before it gets here. All right, this is Jesus. The Gospel of John chapter 11. You all know this. Jesus, uh, in verse 35, he wept. He's in front of the tomb of Lazarus. He's got Mary and Martha there and a number of dear friends there. And there is a lot of blubbering going on. I mean, to the point that even Jesus wept. Okay. 33. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Okay, now, brothers and sisters, I don't think you understand. Do you understand what this is? This is a dead person. Jews said, see how he loved him. Verse 38, Jesus, again, being deeply moved, he came to the tomb. The stone laying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Lazarus' sister Martha, sister of the deceased, said, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. It's a nice way to remember a loved one in it. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Think about this. This is what he said. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they might believe you sent me. Lazarus, come forth. You ready to walk into that one? I'm going to walk in and I know what's going to happen. And I'm going to pray to God and thank him because I know what's going to happen. How you doing with that one? Make it personal. What if you have a loved one? They step into eternity. Can you say, thank you, Father, for the resurrection? I will see them later. See, death is one of our uh, Achilles heels. I mean, uh, death is one of God's greatest evangelistic tools. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you are going to do. That's faith. He came out, but the thanks was in advance. Listen, I don't care what you say. 
That is a different level of spiritual maturity. You look at any given situation and say, I know the outcome of this, and I'm thanking you for it. Listen, I've buried people. I knew. They all said, hey, can you pray that they're healed? I knew that God wasn't going to heal them. And so, now I didn't tell them that. But I thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the time you've given us. Thank you for the blessings that we've seen. Father, thank you for the blessings we haven't seen. But thank you. This is all to your glory. Listen, I buried my best man. It's been a number of years ago. And I knew him longer than I knew my wife. Uh, We used to... uh, Break the law together. God says, I'm talking to you. You're not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Banga! And I never saw him again for a long time. And then as God continued to grow me and strengthen me and everything else, he brought him back into my life. And then later he came into salvation. I was there in the ICU unit where they're going to do a procedure on him. The doctor told me, it was me, him, and his wife. And his wife was standing there. She's a non-believer. And he says, uh, hello, brother, old friend, you pray for me. I said, yeah, what do you want me to pray? And this man wanted his wife saved so bad he couldn't stand it. But you know what he asked me? Pray that if I can't come back to the church and serve in the manner that I am right now, go on home. I was like, you know, your wife's standing right there. I didn't say that either, but it was went through my head. So I prayed it. He went on home. Still breaks my heart to think about it. Turkey left me here. I'm thankful for what I had with him. I'm thankful that God used this idiot to draw him to the true meaning of the cross. And the times that I got to spend with him at my kitchen table every Thursday night, we were going through the book of Thessalonians. Then he got sick. Okay? And I'm thankful for that. Still wish he hadn't left me here, but minor detail. Can you, as Jesus did in anticipation of a death, be thankful? Family, loved one, Can I thank the Lord and I know what is going to happen? You know what is weird about death? (laughs) We are all going to have to face it. Right? Let me give you another one. In uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, 1 to 3. Those of you who are on Wednesday night know I'm talking about the kings. We'll get to uh, Jehoshaphat one of these days. Now it came after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Ammon, 
and behold, Hazara Tamar, that is included. Okay, you got to remember something. Israel is divided now. You have Judea and neither bitty Benjamin right there, but it's Judea. He doesn't have the other ten tribes. Okay, and here he is. He's got two huge armies coming at him. Okay, if it was one, he could probably handle it. Okay, but if you've got two, ah, I just don't know if I can pull this off. Okay, this was a war. This was not a uh, a skirmish. This would be the demise of Judah. Um, strong enemies, total war. But here's the thing about Jehoshaphat. He was a man of prayer. All right? He saw war on the horizon. And he goes to the Lord. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Verse 15. And this is uh, Jazreel uh, answers. Assembly of the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jazreel. And he said, Listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Pours out his heart, and he gets an answer. Verse 20. Throws early in the morning. Now this is the weird part to me. It's easy for us at times to say, let us trust the Lord. Isn't it? Things are kind of cruising along. Not too bad. Let us trust the Lord. What do you got to do if you've got a massive army that dwarfs you and he's got allies and they're coming to obliterate you? And there's not really anything you can do. You believe God for the victory? Well, Jehoshaphat did. And here's <laughs> it's kind of an odd way of him doing it. Verse 20 rose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tico. When they got out, Jehoshaphat stood this. Listen, men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang. You know what that is? That's the choir. Those who sang to the Lord and who those who praised him in holy attire, and they went out before the army. Do you know what that is? The Marines don't go forth first in Israel. The choir does. And I bet them people sang loud. What do you want to bet? Lord, you better hear this. We're praising you. We are out here. The army's behind us, and the army's in front of us, and all we got is our hymnals. Interesting. Praise proceeded the army. Lord, how marvelous you are. You are so going to win this. We will sing 
unto you. You see the war coming, and I am going to count on you. And yet, it's funny. Verse 22, Then they began singing and praising the Lord, and they set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Mount Seir was another little place that was not Jewish, who had come against Judah, and they were routed. Okay? For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. The choir is going, told you. <laughs> huh. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked to the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the spoils, they found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, and they took them for themselves, more than they could carry, and they were three days taking the spoils because there was so much. See what Thanksgiving before the battle does? They didn't even have to fight the war. They believed God. They gave God thanks. And before the battle, and this is harder than doing it after the fact. I see the battle. I know what this is. You have the victory. And I will sing and praise you for it. God wants this too. Right? God wants our thanksgiving before the battle begins, before the tribulation begins, before the trial begins. And I don't know about you, that's tough. And you can sit there and tell yourself, oh, that's a piece of cake. You know what? Watch out, Monday. Okay? Because when I started looking at this, I was like, oh, gee. Maybe we should just skip on over to chapter 6. This will test your spiritual maturity. When the problem causes us to fall apart, guess what? Try Thanksgiving. Thank God after, and you thank God before. No problem, right? Okay, let me give you a third one. You know, third's the charm. You thank God in the middle of the battle when it looks like you're losing. After and before. Okay, I can see where that makes sense. Okay, I can handle that. But what about right in the middle of the battle? Am I thankful? And of course, I have pictures. Chapter 6, verse 10, the book of Daniel. You know this. King Darius signed a document. That was in his injunction that no one should be prayed to except him. Now, David knew that the document in verse 10 was signed. He entered his house now in the roof chamber. Why? Because that's always cooler in the desert. And you're really important if you got a penthouse. So he was up in the roof area. Now the roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving <sighs> thanks before God 
as he had been doing previously. Hmm. They found Daniel doing this, and uh, they turned him in. And by the king's decree, what happened? That's right. Let's go play with the kitties. But he was already given thanks three times a day, and it cost him the lion's den. And you know what? It didn't matter. He was going to give thanks in the midst of the trouble. Right? Well, that was Daniel. Okay, I'll give you a rebellious saint. Okay? Jonah, chapter 2, 7 to 9. Jonah was told to go preach repentance to the Ninevites. Jonah, in his infinite wisdom, says, No, if you want me to go do them, that means you're going to save them. And the Ninevites are evil people. I don't want them saved. So I'm getting on a boat. I'm going to take a Caribbean cruise, and I'll come back when this is all done. Well, that didn't work. He ends up as fish bait. He says a large fish swallowed him. He is in the belly of a large fish in the acids of his stomach and the stench that would go with the digestive system of anything. Verse 7, and I thought, man, while I was fainting away, you're in the belly of a fish, and I feel like fainting away. <laughs> Yo, Bubba, you betcha. Now, I, I want you to remember something about this section. This was brought on by himself. All he had had to do is got on a mule or took a walk and went north, and he'd have got to Nineveh, and he could have done what God asked. But now, because of his rebellion, God has stuck him in a fish. And at that time, he says, I was fainting away. No doubt. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I am so thankful for being in the belly of a fish. Hmm. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. When the man of God in rebellion is thankful to God, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him up on dry land. <laughs> there ain't nothing like having a thankful prophet in your gut, huh? And he ended up on the land. He thanks the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's faith or stupidity to start thanking God in the belly of a fish that I did cause myself. But he thanked God, and God honored it. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith hall of fame. All of those who thank God in the middle of trials, some of them horrific. And yet the writer makes this statement. And you and I should hear this. It's not so bad that you haven't suffered to the point of blood. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. The early church was being persecuted terribly. 
They were beaten over and over and over. And they said, don't preach anymore. When they were released, what happened? It's amazing. They thanked God that they were worthy to suffer for his name. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas arrested in stocks, spread out, stretched out in a prison jail in Philippi. What did they do? They began singing and thanking and praising God in their stocks. And the jails all opened up and the Philippian jailer got saved. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. You know what this crime was? Preaching Jesus. And he looks to the time that he will die and with all of his heart it is filled with thanksgiving. You know, I love you guys, but this is a view of our character. Christ's life is seen. The change in our nature is seen. I don't have to have somebody tell me, say thank you. Because it says, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, what? Always, all things, give thanks. And then if you add Thessalonians into it, this is the will of God concerning you. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Kind of hurts, though. Please understand in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, this is the worthy walk, and the worthy walk is grateful. So, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to close with these couple of things. How do you give thanks? Do you give thanks after the blessing? Before the trial? In the middle of it? You guys watch out for Monday. We worship God in connection with our hearts. And our hearts is where our conscience is. And our hearts is where our thinking processes are. It's where we make all of our decisions or decisions that we don't make. My question is going to be simple. Can you walk out of here and say in everything, I am thankful? Be careful before you answer that. Because what I've learned the hard way is when I lay it out there, remember how I started this? God says, I don't care about the message. I'll give you the message. I want to know if this is true of you. Is this true of you? Because if it is, it'll be seen. Got an old guy at the gym that I sort of go to every once in a while. He says, you know, I heard a song the other day that made me think of you. I said, what's that? He says, take it easy. I said, well, I... I've been through Winslow, Arizona, but I don't remember much than other things. He says, no, man. He says, I've seen some of the stuff that you've had to deal with. And he said, you just cruise through with a goofy smile on your face. I said, that's my Lord. It's not me. But I can honestly say, I can't see me in those three. It's easy to give thanks after the blessing. 
There's times as a pastor, you know the writing on the wall. You may not be brave enough to tell the person that you see what's coming. But you know what the answer is, and I know how to do that. But I can tell you this, that I have been in some battles sometimes. I wasn't being thankful. I was saying, (laughs) get me out of this! And I know none of you would ever do anything like that. But that's all right. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'll get there. Okay? Be thankful in all things, all the time, for this is the will of God concerning you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we do have a heart of gratitude. Father, may we go forth. In the battles, the tribulations are coming. Tribulations may be all around us even now. Father, let us look upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we may rejoice in the amazing things you have done, the amazing things you will do. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're showing me in this. Thank you for growing me in this. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will. In Christ's name, amen.